everyone. You have been a preschool long enough that I am rarely shocked and surprised by anything. However, Friday night, uh, a friend of mine, his friend sent me an article that not only shocked and surprised me, but sort of kept me awake for most of the night. And it is an article that some of you may have seen, or at least it's been floating around the news, about a man named Jean Vanier, V-A-N-I-E-R. Jean Vanier is one of the most important figures in the Catholic Church of the latter part of the 20th century. Why so many Americans have not heard of him, I'm really not sure. He's French-Canadian who founded this sort of organization called L'Arche. L'Arche is French for the Ark. And it is spread all over the world now, an organization where there are homes set up for the mentally handicapped to be able to live in community, to be able to be cared for, and to come to find meaning, purpose, and direction in their lives. And this man started it, spread all over the world, and has written numerous books that have been bestsellers. He is considered by not only Catholics and non-Catholics alike a, a truly holy man and has been up several times nominated or at least potentially nominated for the, Pula, the, the, for the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, he died last year in May 2019, the mid-90s is how old he was, and hailed from the media as a saint, particularly in Europe and in Canada. Well, on Friday, the AP caught hold of a report that was going to be issued by the community of L'Arche, talking about an investigation that happened into the life of their founder, Jean Vanier, that there are some accusations that have been floating around, and they did some research, and come to find out that during the course of his life, he abused several women. Now, they're not mentally handicapped, they're not underaged, but the report said, and I've only read the article about it, that while he was doing all these wonderful things, he had had these sort of really weird, mystical, quasi-relationships with women that were clearly abusive and manipulative, taking the cue, it seems, from his spiritual mentor, who was condemned for doing the same thing. I'm not going to get into details. You can go read the articles about it. But it is pretty clear that Jean Vanier was not a saint. And this happened during a period of li his life when he should not have, or he should have known better, he should, absolutely, but when he had come to a position of power, wasn't something when he was very young. And so this really shook me to the core because I've always admired Jean Vanier. I've loved his writing and I've always loved the model of the large community. And so it got me reflecting on a number of things that I decided I wanted to talk about today at Mass. Before we get into it, though, I want to make a few observations and caveats. Is the sins that it seems that he committed were not sins of weakness. This wasn't, oh, I was young and I made some mistakes, or I didn't know any better. But this man was two-faced, it appears. And while he was off doing all these wonderful deeds that he was manipulative, perverse, abused power, and quite potentially was a sociopath. These things all happened at a point of his life when he had achieved power, not when he was lower down. He abused that power for his own pleasure and his own desire. Number two, he was not a cleric. He wasn't.
wasn't married, but he was never a bishop, he was never a priest. And so with all the stuff and the scandal in the church, and again, I'm not saying that what these priests and bishops did was good. No, it was terrible, and they deserve the judgment they get. This sin is not just in the clergy. In other areas of the church also, in other areas of our culture and society. And third and finally, and this is what really got me, if you knew Cardinal McCarrick and knew about him, you knew he wasn't a saint. I've known about him since 1999. I never liked him. He was a manipulator. And all these other priests that were accused of different things, no one ever said it's such a tragedy because these guys are holy. You knew they weren't. Whereas Vanier was considered a saint by everyone, compared quite often to Mother Teresa in his love and care for the poor and the disabled. And the beautiful things he wrote about the human spirit and about Christ and about love. And to find out that he was a fraud for me and I'm sure for others make you really question what is holiness? What is a saint? Is it possible to know it and is it possible to achieve it? And so as I was praying about that and getting ready for Mass, that first reading, that passage jumped out at me. Be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We're all called to be holy. We're all called to be saints. But something like this made me part of wonder, well, what is holiness? What does it mean to be a saint? And is it possible that we can truly know a holy person by knowing their actions, by knowing their writings, potentially without knowing their hearts? As I said on the outside, this guy came off as a saint, as holy, but on the inside, he was a fraud. Maybe we can tie it into today's gospel and the reading of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it say don't commit adultery, but I say don't even be lustful in your heart. A guy could look like he's really holy on the outside and be something on the inside. I, the commandment says don't kill, but I say don't even hate someone in your heart. This is the purpose of the Sermon of the Mount, to look beyond appearances, even if the appearances are good. And so I've read a couple of articles and people reflecting on Vanier, and I realize that it is a temptation to push you if you're already struggling with the church and already struggling with your own faith to lead you into despair and nihilism. If this guy's a fraud, then am I a fraud? Or are we all frauds? And I'm not here to give an easy answer. I don't have one. And the only thing that sort of jumped or came to my mind was something that we use in the church, a phrase you may have heard, the mystery of iniquity. A mystery, of course, is something you don't fully understand, you don't fully grasp. And this describes the problem of evil. We have evil and suffering in the world, natural disasters, innocent people dying and suffering, getting cancer, getting murdered, horrible things happening to them. Why? Why does God allow this? What's the purpose for it? And we're never going to fully understand it. We have to come face to face with the mystery. But on the other hand, and this is something that I never really thought about or realized, on the other hand, there's also a mystery of goodness mystery of goodness that we can see oh this really looks like a good person this is what love is and service but it can often be much more complicated than that Flannery O'Connor the great author wrote this 
introduction to a book in her life where she's talking about this character who is not just simply a good person. Flannery O'Connor, if you know about her, says that she doesn't think it's valuable just to show these cliched versions of good. Instead, that she says, quote, that goodness, its face is grotesque, that in us the good is something under construction. They're always moving. It's something that is a mystery in the way goodness and evil can coexist. And so I thought of a number of figures from literature. The one that really jumped out at me is the whiskey priest from Graham Greene's classic, The Power and the Glory, from the great Catholic novels. It takes place in the Mexican Revolution when they're hunting down priests. And the one priest left of the state is a priest that everyone knows is a drunk and has fostered an illegitimate child. Everyone knows it, but he's the only priest serving. He's the only priest putting his life on the line, and this man knows how terrible he is. And there's some really striking scenes in the book, particularly when he is in the prison. And there's this woman who is pious and holy, but she's judging everyone else in that cell for their sin. And he comes to realize in his own self that when he was not committing these sins and when he wouldn't admit that he was a sinner, he thought himself better than everybody. But somehow, the struggle with his alcohol and that everyone knew that he had fostered an illegitimate child made him humble because he was no longer prideful. And he struggled with this and came to find true holiness. I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end of the book. And so... How can we then come to understand this mystery of goodness? What is true holiness if it's not Jean Vanier? If it's not all of these good things that we see? And again, I'm positing this and it's a mystery that it's kind of hard for me to understand and I don't want people to be confused about it. But the person who's truly holy, or at least on the path to holy because it's under construction, is the one who may sin and sin gravely but admits it. Admits, I'm a creature, I make mistakes, I'm not perfect, I am in need of mercy, whether it be personally or in front of everybody else. Does not say that they are perfect, but knows they are a sinner. Even if they sin over and over and over again, they are in need of the Lord's mercy. Of course, this makes me think of St. Therese in her little way. Some beautiful quotes that she had. She says, quote, saints accept themselves the way they are and make use of their imperfections to raise themselves nearer to God, unquote. I'm not trying to tell everybody, look how perfect I am, look at all the great things that I've done. I'm praying and I'm helping the poor, but inside I'm rotten. Jesus went after the Pharisees. She also says it suffices to humble oneself to bear with one's imperfections. That is real sanctity. This is from St. Therese, the doctor of the church. It's not some crazy crackpot. Is that if we can admit that we're not perfect and that we sin in sometimes in really big ways, then maybe we're the individual who is, if not holy, at least on the path to holiness. Now, I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to get trashed from Mardi Gras this weekend. I'm going to become a saint. It's not what we're talking about. <laughs> not at all. We're talking about the goodwill, the person who's trying to move forward. And that's the difference between the saint and someone like Vanier. And I don't know Vanier's heart, but from what I realize, or we see, someone who puts forth, look how holy and good I am, 
but inside is absolutely corrupt. The saint admits that they're not perfect and often has to admit it publicly because of the way that their sins come out. It doesn't live behind a veneer of holiness. And this is the whole problem of the Pharisees. You're out there letting everybody think that you're holy, but you are whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. You know that scene where Jesus is there and he looks at the two men in the temple? The one, oh, look how holy I am and good I am, and the other guy beating his breast that I'm a sinner. That's the guy Jesus points out is the one who is all right with God who publicly is willing to admit, I am not perfect. I need the Lord's mercy. That is probably a true sign of goodness and holiness. Kind of wrapping this up, and hopefully you have some time to think about this, particularly I'd say read uh, The Power and the Glory. I also say read The Quiet American and my travels with my aunt and all the other great Graham Greene stuff that no matter how much we talk about this own imperfection and our sins, no matter how big they are, justice still needs to be done, particularly if there are crimes. It's not just enough to say, we're going to show mercy. Justice needs to be done. Those priests who did what they did deserve to go to jail. And there should be, I'm sure, an investigation that whatever Vanier did, there needs to be restitution for his victims. But what do we do on our own self when we see people like that who have sinned and made really, really big mistakes and go to prison or don't go to prison? What should our attitude be? Condemning them, shaming them, going on Twitter and making fun of them and ridiculing them? That is not what Jesus said to do. Not at all. We can say, yes, justice needs to be done, this is wrong, but the Lord's pretty clear in the gospel today that we have to love our enemies too. Love those who are not perfect, those who are sinners, and those who are fakes and they are frauds because we're the same way. Albeit for the grace of God, there go I. But even more importantly, because it's our willingness to show mercy and compassion and love to people who fall into sin is what probably could convert their heart. But if we act like condescending jerks and refuse to do that, we lock them in their own sin. But there are probably a lot of saints on death row. Men and women who've done horrible things but have converted, have changed, like, like Dismas on the cross. He admitted publicly, we, I deserve what I got. But he's in heaven because he was willing to admit his sins and imperfections. So that's the purpose of the call to love others and love our enemies. Of course, the more we do that, the more others' hearts can potentially change, and the more in some way, the lives of others and our own lives, we can fully grasp or come to grasp mystery of goodness in our lives and in the hearts of others. Amen.